Good morning. It's so good to see you. Over these last weeks, we've been weaving our tapestry, right? We, we talked about in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 this beautiful imagery that a strand of three, or a cord of three strands, is not quickly torn apart. And so we've been talking about, as we've been reflecting on and, and reviewing and, and rereading and reconsidering the, the familiar passages of the New Testament, we've been considering these different strands. These different strands that make up the cords that, that then are woven into our lives. And now, we, I think this is week five. So my question to you is, as you have been able to step back and, and begin to look at this tapestry of your life, and of the tapestry of our church, what is, what's your tapestry beginning to look like? Does it look good? Have, have you seen some of these these strands being woven into your tapestry? Have, have you been able to identify some that, that maybe were there but you weren't really sure about? Or, or maybe over these last weeks you have, have said, you know, here, here's a part of Christ or a part of my own life that, that, that I need to see this new strand begin to be woven into my tapestry. And so today we look at Luke chapter 18. It's a, a familiar story. Amen has shared that with us from the text. And here's where I need some input from you. As, as this rich young ruler is, is weaving his tapestry, what are the, the strands, as we read this story, what are the strands that he is weaving into his, his life? Y'all help me. What are, what are some of these strands of this, this, this man? His wealth. Yeah, he's rich. In fact... Luke tells us he's extremely rich. So wealth is one of the strands in co- uh, that's woven through his tapestry. What, what are some others? Yeah. He, he's a good guy. He, he, he knows what the law is and, and he gives every indication here that he obeys the law. He's, so he, he's religious. Good guy. What what else? He's charitable. Yeah, we don't we I bet that's part of, of what his expression is. Of course, Jesus is going to take him to an extreme that he doesn't want to go to. But I think that being a good a good person, that, that probably is part of, of his practice of the law. What else? He's young. I think when you're young, you don't appreciate how wonderful that is. <laughs> As you get older, you think, wow, if I'd only known then what I know now, right? And so he's weaving that part, portion of his tapestry where, where youth is a great part of that. What else? Yeah. He has authority. He's a ruler, Some one of the translations says. Anything else that you can think of? Yeah, he, he notices something unique in Jesus. So here, here's what I'm here's here's how I want to see. Here's a guy. He's he's rich. He's young. He's a good guy, religious. Got some authority, power. Girls, I hope y'all are taking notes. Okay, 
Doesn't that sound like that's, I mean, that's what the guy, that's what dad wants the girls to bring home, right? Sounds pretty good. And yet, his, his tapestry seems to be in good shape, right? Think, wow, he's weaving this. Oh, what a beautiful story. He's weaving together. What a wonderful life. Yet, it just seems that way, right? It's what I want, I'm calling here a seemingly beautiful tapestry. Because from, from the outside, from, from what the world would see, he's got everything. So what's missing? What, what's missing from his life? And so he approaches Jesus, and, and in verse 18 he asks Jesus this question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There, there's again this what I'm calling this missing thread. There's, there's something that's missing. Now on one hand, we could... We could take it this way. Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and maybe, just maybe, here's what he's wanting to hear. Well, you know, rich young ruler, you're such a fine young man. There's nothing missing from your life. You just keep doing the things you're doing. You just keep being that good man. You just keep following the law. You, you know what? Come here, let me just pat you on the back. You know people like that. They're fishing for a compliment. They're, they're fishing for affirmation. And, and so here's Jesus, this, this good teacher. This one who's attracting all the attention. And maybe, just maybe, the, the rich young ruler wants to, to have a little of that attention come his way. So, oh, good teacher, you tell me. What, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Oh, good son. You just keep on going the way you're going. How many of us feel that way? Boy, you know, I'm just a pretty good old boy. I, I, I'm just a, a wonderful young lady. I've got everything going for me. I don't, boy, if everybody in the world was like me, and we just like to hear that affirmation from somebody else, right? Maybe that's what he's after. But I think the other interpretation is the one that, that we've, we've heard the most. In the sense that in spite of his wealth, in spite of his authority, his power, in spite of his sense of self-righteousness, that you know what, I'm a good person. I follow the law. And of course, we're talking about the, the second tablet of the law, the way we relate to people. That's the focus of the initial conversation. Yet in spite of all of this, this, this man who seemingly has everything going his way, knows that there's something that's missing in his life. Isn't it interesting that Jesus draws attention first and foremost to this idea of goodness? Maybe, maybe there is some truth to this idea that, that the rich young ruler is coming up and saying, you know, Jesus, well, I'm a pretty good guy, so is there anything I need to do to inherit eternal life? Oh, no. You're, you're good enough. Because Jesus responds in verse 19, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. Now certainly there may be some things Jesus is implying and teaching there about who He is. But maybe He's shining the light back on this rich young ruler and saying, you know what? There is nobody that's good. 
And maybe this rich young ruler who, who would certainly be familiar with the scriptures, maybe he remembered a passage like Isaiah 53, verse 6, that says, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. Or maybe he reflected on a passage like Psalm 14, which Paul kind of retells and, and restates in Romans 3. Listen to what Paul says. Again, quoting the psalmist. He says, there's none that's righteous. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. Not even one. And so if there's a little pride, I suspect, if there's a little arrogance, if there's a little of that self-righteous piety in this young man's life, I think Jesus is dealing with it pretty quick. You know, hey, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. And Jesus, well, I'm God, but you're not. So then, what must I do? If I'm not good, if I'm not as good as I think I am, okay, Jesus, what is it that I need to do? So let's look at his, what I want to call his impossible answer. If you'll humor me for a minute, maybe Jesus is humoring this rich young ruler. Maybe he's just going along and said, okay, if you want to play by those rules, if you're so good, if, if you think you've got your act together, if you're obeying the, the law perfectly in, in such a way, well, then here's what you've got to do. Verse 22, one thing you lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. One thing you lack, sell all that you've got. Give it away to the poor. Then come and follow me. And you can almost hear his facial expression drop. And you can almost hear him proclaim and exclaim, well, I can't do that. Jesus says, well, you ask, what do you got to do? I can't do that. Again, we need to remember that when we come in our own piety and our own righteousness and, and we come to Jesus on this, this merit term, this, this merit system, and we say, okay, Jesus, I'm a pretty good, good guy. I'm a pretty good girl. Tell me, what is it that I need to do? All right, Jesus says, well, here's what you need to do. I can't do that. And then that, that, that's the whole point. <laughs> you can't do that. But again, as we talked about a few weeks ago, this is, this is this rich young ruler's mindset. It's his worldview. Again, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. That uh, This idea that we have in our world, in our culture today, that what's mine is mine. Well, now, Jesus, that's my stuff. It's mine. Why would I sell it and give it away? It's mine. And verse 23 tells us that this rich young ruler went away very sad. 
he went away grieving. Why? Because he could not do what he was asked to do. So let's be honest with ourselves today. If, if you were that rich young ruler, if you were that rich young woman, and you approached Jesus today, and you were seeking eternal life, and you were just trying to get right with, with God, you were just trying to secure your future, and you came up to Jesus and said, what do I have to do, Jesus? What would he say to you? What would he ask you to do? Maybe this parallels right. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord came to Abraham and said, you know what? You need to sacrifice your son. Well, I can't do that. What, what is it that God would come to you today and say, okay, here's what you need to do. I can't do that. Have you acknowledged the fact that no matter how, how good or even how bad you are, that there's nothing that you can do in order to receive eternal life? There, there's nothing. We can't earn it. There's, there's no way we can earn His favor. We can earn His merit. There's no way we can earn eternal life. Again, regardless of how good or how bad we are. And as Jesus begins to, to teach and to share this truth, isn't it incredible what the apostles, what the disciples say in verse 26? Kind of scratch their head. Well then, okay, Jesus. Well then, who can be saved? Then who can have eternal life? If this rich young ruler who has everything going for him, if he can't be saved, then who can be saved? And so I want us to talk about the new possibility. In verse 27, an incredibly powerful truth. The things that are impossible with people are impossible, excuse me, are possible with God. The things that are impossible with people are now possible with God. I think Jesus would say to the rich young ruler, I know you can't do that. <laughs> That's the whole point. The law is given to us to demonstrate and to prove ultimately that we can't do what's required to receive salvation, to receive eternal life. That, that this is outside of our own abilities and our own power. Notice, however, the mixed metaphors I think that the rich young ruler is using here. He wanted to know what he had to do in order to earn or deserve eternal life, right? And yet he uses the word inherit. We inherit not because of what we do, but because of who we are, right? It makes me wonder about the rich young ruler. I wonder where he got his wealth. I wonder if he inherited it all. Okay, what do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? Because he's a, he's a rich young man who, who maybe he inherited all of his wealth. What must I do? Have you ever inherited anything?
had an inheritance experience that that had a profound impact on me. And, and I've shared this story before, and some of you may have heard it, some of you haven't. But it was, uh, gosh, Dean, I hadn't been married but a, maybe a, just a couple years. I don't even know if Morgan was born or not. But um, we went home for Christmas. We had a family Christmas on my, my dad's side of the family. My grandmother was still alive. And she had four grandchildren, of which I was the favorite. Not really. Maybe. Um, anyway, one of my older cousins had, uh, had cancer discovered in his mouth when he was just a teenager. He'd gone to the dentist and, and had some lumps in his, in his mouth, on his tongue, and, and went to the doctor. And it was a long, long journey that he had of battling cancer, mouth cancer, and, and, and having things removed in this part of his, his, his skull and face area. And anyway, I, he, he survived and he lived until about 30, 35 to 40 years of age from a teenage boy, fighting and battling with that all of his life. Well, it, it, it had reoccurred again. And we understood as a family that this was his last Christmas with us as a family. Um, sometime during this next year, he was, he was going to die. We had our Christmas morning of exchanging gifts and we're having a good time and, and just enjoying being together as a family. We, we all lived apart and hadn't seen each other for a while. And it's just that, that quiet, still moment after after you open your gifts and you're just hanging around the tree and visiting, enjoying that, that time. And, and my grandmother came during that time and she said, Max, that's my dad, said, go get the cards. And she went and she got the cards and she began to hand them out. And Gay and I, we got our cards and, you know, Grandma always, she always gave us money. She always gave us a $20 bill or maybe a $50 bill or something like that. And so, so we received it graciously and and anticipated being to open up the, the card and to celebrate that and to share that with her. And we opened the card up, and everybody was kind of doing this at the same time. You could hear the rustling of the paper and the envelopes opening up. And we opened that up, and we opened the card, and out fell a check for $1,000. And it got real quiet in the room as everybody saw what had happened. And what my grandmother had done was she had decided that since one of her grandchildren wasn't going to get to enjoy her inheritance when she died, that she was going to share her inheritance before she died. And all around the room, we began to understand what she had done. We didn't deserve that. We didn't do anything for that. It was her gift. It was her inheritance that she shared with us, her grandkids, before she died. And my cousin died that year, and my grandmother ultimately died. She lived to be 99 plus, and she passed on her inheritance to her children the way you typically would do. But I'll never forget how she shared part of her inheritance with us before she died and before my cousin died. The rich young ruler said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, we've got to get beyond this, this mindset and this worldview that we have to earn. We have to merit 
what God desires to give us. And that God doesn't just desire to give us something when we die one day, but that God desires to allow us to share in His inheritance now. That, that eternal life is not about dying and going somewhere one day. Eternal life is about receiving from Christ today. It's about receiving the foreshadowing. It's about receiving that first thousand dollars. And living in the joy and the celebration of that. You see, eternal life cannot be earned. It's inherited. We cannot do anything for it. Listen to Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27. Jesus, Paul writes this about Christ. He says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And if a son than an heir through God. Jesus was, was saying and teaching to this young man, you know what? It, it's impossible for you to earn eternal life. But you can inherit it. And in order to inherit eternal life, you need to become part of the family. You, you need to become a brother or a sister of mine. You need to experience the Heavenly Father as your Father. And as we become children of God, the Scripture is so clear, as we become the children of God as through faith in Christ, then we become an heir and we inherit life and salvation. Again, going back to our paradigm, this, this rich young ruler had said, you know what, I grew up with what's mine is mine. And I inherited it fair and square. It's mine, it's not yours. And I'm not going to... Sell it all and give it away. What's mine is mine. But here's what Jesus says. What's mine, capital M, what's mine, my inheritance, my place in the kingdom of God, what's mine is yours, he says to us. Because what's mine and what's yours is his. Our death, our separation from the Father he owned and He took that for us on the cross. And so now He says, what's mine is yours because what's yours was mine on the cross. And once we become an heir, once we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, then, and follow this, then the prescription becomes the description. And here's where we mess up with works. You can't earn your salvation. Salvation is not prescribed, okay? Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then you're saved. That's a prescription, right? But rather, salvation, and what Jesus is saying, is a description. Once you become a child of God, then here's what your life's going to look like. Look at the rest of chapter 18. In verse 18, we have the story of the rich young ruler. He's rich, he's young, he's powerful. He's got everything the world wants. And then as we continue in chapter 18, we're introduced to Bartimaeus, who's blind. <laughs> and he's begging. He's the antithesis of the rich young ruler. And he says, Jesus, give me sight. Give me eternal life. Give me, give me whatever it is that I need. And here's what Jesus says. He said, receive sight. Don't, you can't earn it. But receive this sight. Because why? Because your faith has made you well. Your faith 
is allowing you to see. And then what's the next story after Bartimaeus? Zacchaeus. We talked about Zacchaeus a couple weeks ago, right? And who's Zacchaeus? He's the rich ruler, right? We don't know if he's young or not. Most likely not. But he's rich. And he's a ruler. He has power and authority. And what do we see Zacchaeus doing when he receives eternal life? When he receives the presence of Christ into his life? What does he do? He goes and sells what he has. He gives half to the poor. He, he promises to pay back four times what he's defrauded others. Do you think it's a coincidence that the rich young ruler and, and Zacchaeus are back to back? Because so many of us want to see the prescription of salvation. What do I have to do, Jesus? What do I have to do, God? Okay, I need to say this prayer. I need to walk down this aisle. I need to do this. I need to do that. Is that what I need to do? Is that the prescription? And Jesus says, no. You receive me by faith. You become an heir through Christ. And then guess what? And then let me tell you, let me describe what your life's going to look like afterwards. You're going to want to share your stuff. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, then what's mine becomes yours. And I'm going to give and I'm going to share with the poor. I'm going to invest my life in the kingdom of God. Because why? Because now my focus isn't on doing. My focus is on being and becoming who God created me to be. And so maybe we can become a people that move from this idea of prescription. What do I have to do to this idea of description? Okay, God, I am an heir of your kingdom. Now, how do I live? How do I live my life? You see, salvation is the journey of declaring before God what's mine, my life, is yours, God. And then God transforms a way of life that declares what's mine is mine, the rich young ruler, into a life that says what's mine is yours, the life we see in Zacchaeus. This is the journey that we're all called to be on. You see, all of us have a rich young ruler thread running through our lives. Here's the question for us today. Is that the thread you're still weaving with? Is that rich young ruler thread the thread that dominates the tapestry that you're weaving? Christ, God's invitation to us today is to quit doing and to quit weaving with this thread and, and rather to receive. Receive a new thread. Receive a new thread of faith and allows you to come into the kingdom of God as an heir, as a son, as a daughter of the king in which you deny yourself, in which you lose your life, in which you discover the eternal life, both now and forever. Jesus says in Luke 9, again, Luke carries through these same themes, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. We deny ourselves in order to receive. We have to take up our cross daily. What does that look like for you? For the rich young ruler, it would have looked like Selling his possessions, giving them to the poor, following after Christ. And follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it or find it. What is a man profited if he gains the whole world 
and loses or forfeits his own self. Many of us are forfeiting ourselves as far as eternal life is going because we're not willing to die to ourselves. We're not willing to come to Christ and receive His gift of salvation. We're so worried about the prescription, what we could do, that we've forgotten that if we'll become, that our lives will be described in a whole new way. Is this the thread that God is weaving through your life in these days? I trust and hope so. Let's pray.